Hey, it's your host, Ben. If you listen to our episode about Toad the Wet Sprocket's 25th anniversary of Dulcinea that we recorded last year, you already know that I'm a big fan of Toad and Glenn Phillips. You're in for a special treat because Glenn is just one of the coolest guys around. Guest co-host Jeff and I challenge Glenn to play a certain song that we talk about on this episode during one of his quarantine internet shows. And Glenn accepted the challenge and knocked the cover out of the park. I included a snippet of the cover at the end of this episode. Yeah, you're going to have to listen to all two hours plus to get to it, but I guarantee it'll be worth it. Hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Cue up the intro music. Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery, and joining me is a man who is always relying on his good intentions, but his head is full of things he can't mention. Here's my guest co-host from the left coast. He's California wasted. Here's Jeff Johnson. Hello, Ben. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. And for this episode, we have a special guest. He's a lead singer of Toad the Wet Sprocket, but he's also released a number of very stellar solo records, including Swallowed by the New that came out a couple of years ago. Please welcome to the podcast, Glenn Phillips. Hello. Good to be here. Thanks for coming on. So um, the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do it on each episode, we start with the all-important question. I'm going to start with you, Jeff. What t-shirt are you wearing? Well, I I switched it up at the last second um, based on an email that I got today from Wilco with a statement from Jeff Tweedy uh, about music and where a lot of the roots come from. And I was so I was I was pretty moved by it. And so I switched to my Wilco. Um, It's the rising early since uh, 94 shirt with the rooster on it. So excellent. Mm -hmm. All right. How about you, Glenn? What T-shirt are you wearing? It's the Iron Maiden Can I Play With Madness shirt from way back when, the one where like Eddie is having something spooned into his brain and there's a fist running through his head. Nice. It's my my girlfriend's shirt, like, and she's like the the sweetest, kindest person, and (laughs) we've had it since high school, and it's the softest t-shirt in the world. She wears it as a pajama shirt, and it's my favorite shirt. There you go. All right. Yeah. I was wearing an Iron Maiden shirt the other uh, the other the other morning on my morning walk. So nice. Um, so my T-shirt. So uh, I pulled out of the archives. Um, it's uh, it's been worn a lot. Uh, this is my 2006 Toad the Wet Sprocket T-shirt. Ooh, what's the art on that one? Um, that is the. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, it? It doesn't even say Toad the Wet Sprocket. It's like uh, okay. Toad the Wet Five Procket uh, T-shirt. Huh. Five Procket. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this was uh, the Toad Cover Band. <laughs> yes. So this was when I saw you in uh, Spokane, Washington, of all places. Oh wow! At the big yeah. was it the Big Easy at that time? I can't remember. I th- think so i can't remember um matt nathanson was your opener oh whoa yeah that's way back when that was a few years ago right 
Yeah. I wish I, I wish I still had my um, my Dulcinea tour T-shirt from uh, what was that? Me too. Ninety five that we saw. Yes. That was the first time we saw saw you guys, Glenn, in Salt Lake City at the uh, it was like the Utah State Fairgrounds, I think. Mm. Yes, that sounds right. Oh wait, did the Origin open for us? Yes. Yes. Yes, I remember it was the origin, and I remember there was like the security was all like Hawaiian Samoan. Yep, like these huge guys, and people were getting crushed on the barrier, and they were just lifting. They were like plucking these girls like flowers from the front row, yep. getting smashed against the barrier, and kind of just going. Boop. Yeah, they all look like they could the play football side. for uh, the University of Utah. Is what they yeah. They probably did, actually. They, pro- they probably did. That, but that shirt, I pretty much, that was one of my all-time favorite T-shirts that I literally wore almost out to where it had holes. And at some point, I think my wife snuck it out of uh, out of my, my drawer and <laughs> <laughs> insisted it go away. Not that I could fit it anymore anyway, to be honest. Yeah, we've we've talked about the uh, great T-shirt purge of 2003 a few times on the podcast mm. where my wife got rid of a whole bunch of uh, really great concert T-shirts. That was one of them. The Dulcineo shirt was one of them. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So I mentioned Swallowed by the News. So Jeff and I were um, we were in attendance a few years ago for your album release show in Santa Barbara. Oh, wow. Though I will freely admit that I think we were both a bit distracted watching Game 7 of the World Series during the show in the bar area. Yeah. I'm not really good with the sports timing. (laughs) <laughs> we were we were way way back and they had the tvs on and didn't turn them off and so game seven was also going on at the same time but uh um yeah i don't get it but i get it that's all right yeah uh <laughs> ben, ben came out from florida and visited uh so that was what we we went and did yeah i had a uh i had a client in santa monica and i may or may not have convinced them that they needed to have their quarterly meeting the day after your show ah Smart. Actually, I, I, I did convince them to have their quarterly meeting after your show. So, yeah. So, I'll, Glenn, I'll, I'll do this because Ben, Ben has to do this podcast all the time, so he has to remain professional. I'll just, I'll just own the fact that you are dealing with fanboys for sure in this particular <laughs> in this venue. Like, it's, we're not going to hide it that much. We are, we are very, very big Toe the West Sprocket and Glenn Phillips fans and Lapdog and you know everything else that uh, we've been able to consume over the years. So, so I can say really stupid stuff, and you'll forgive me instead of pinning <sighs> me to the wall. Hundred percent. That's exactly Great. what we're hoping That's for. That's all so, I require. Yeah. So I just want to kind of taint everything that we're talking about so that you understand the perspective it's coming from if we say something that sounds that way that's exactly where it's coming from there you go exactly exactly and we did we did a 25th anniversary of dulcinea episode and that's part of the reason why wayne is not on this episode <laughs> he didn't like it very much did he? <laughs> no he did he did not um and so uh when you know, you you agreed to come on the show. I was like, so Wayne, I'm going to give you the night off. All right, buddy. I think Wayne and I would get along way better than he thinks we would. I think so too. I'll just say yeah. that uh, he there, there were a lot of assumptions. It's, I, I said earlier as we were uh, getting the mic set up around the room, and uh, you know, you were yeah, yeah. Wayne's Wayne uh, <laughs> as we were doing, but no, but uh, but uh, that you know uh, working uh, there there were you know with songs like Fly from Heaven that I I was 
I grew up, uh, had a had a bar mitzvah. Uh, my father took me to the local Zen priory for meditation classes. And I started like in my late teens, like around age 19. And then through my early 20s, I was really curious about uh, Christianity because I lived in a Christian country and wasn't a Christian. And so I read a lot of Eileen Pagel's books on early Christianity and Gnosticism and uh, was really curious about, you know, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, like all the stuff yeah. that had been kind of taken out of, uh, you know, the, the primary Gospels and early Christian history. It was just fascinating to me. And so like that song was not written uh, as like a praise song, but it's more like how would it what if you knew the guy and you saw this religion being created, but you didn't think he was the Messiah actually. And uh, it's always been interesting to see the reaction to that song. Cause uh, it's, it's, it was, yeah, not written from the perspective he thought it was. Right. Right. And we, we try to convince him otherwise. And you know, that, that, may, be the, right. that may be the closest I've come to fighting Wayne on, on a recording of the <laughs> podcast digitally over the internet. That's funny. <laughs> And the thing about that song that's interesting, though, is it has a, like, uh, I mean, there is this element of, like, you're going, well, it is, I don't know, the, 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 the literalness of religious writing as opposed to the kind of subtlety of real life, at least in spiritual terms, um, I mean, except when it isn't, and I've had experiences that are incredibly, you know, profound but they're ineffable and the problem about the ineffable is that as soon as you try to describe it uh you you f it up right it's like it's uh and so it's really ineffable so it's it's strange topics to talk about and, and um and people tend to think you're with one camp or another as opposed to just you know batting around a bunch of ideas and so yeah. um in any event uh I'll meet him someday. We'll, we will talk someday, and I think we'll get along pretty well. I think you will too. Yeah, and I'm amazed that he keeps it PG-13. You might. Do you have to edit a lot? Uh, no, but um, you know, I told him. I told him when we first started. I said, "Look, I've got, I've got friends and family who are, you know, they are a, a little sensitive on the on the swear word." So I said, "You know, we're." we're, we're going to try and keep this as PG 13 as possible. And he's, he's been pretty good about it. Like I, I rarely have to, um, we, we put in the, the, the clown car horn edit for every time that Wayne drops an F bomb. And, Mm -hmm. and I, and that is like, how many clown cars have you, have how many (laughs) clown cars have you had to unload? He, he tries to slip in at least one, an episode. Okay. So if I slip, it's not a bad thing. No, I, you know, I don't, I only Clark car clown horn him. Like I don't like, we just had Matt Nathanson on for, for a second episode. And, um, like I would probably spend a week editing that episode if I had to, to edit every time he dropped an F bomb. So, so if I do drop an F bomb at some point during this and I'll, tr- I'll try not to, but I can't guarantee, um, could you, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a great sound effect that you could use. Yeah. I was going to say, do you want a sound effect for it or should we just let it fly? 
Yeah, I'd like, I don't know, maybe like the old Macintosh opening the. Okay, <laughs> we can I'd find like, that. Thank you. <laughs> I, I was thinking of that, like that the, the old horn, the auga kind of thing. Uh, you could do that as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like that. That's kind of fun yeah. too. I like that one too. Uh, uh, Jeff, Jeff, do you remember what our top song was? For the Dulcinea episode, I, I I don't offhand quickly, and I should have re-listened to that episode, but I had to look. It was crowing. Okay, hmm. yeah, and then followed by fall down, huh? and that was I think because Wayne. I think Wayne gave that a really high score. Yeah, I mean it, the poor guy, he had to give something a highest score. <laughs> it must have been agonizing. <laughs> it is. It, it's it's my favorite Toad album too. So it was a difficult episode for me to try and humor some of it. You know, it's when somebody's. It's like if you're talking about something you're not tied to, you're like, okay, you don't like that. That's okay. We can debate it. It's when you have an emotional attachment to something yeah. that you that you feel this. Def- Offensive, you know, which is very odd. I also feel like there was something from that time where people who, I think we became a symbol in some ways for like, you know, major labels ruining it, alternative music or postmodern or post, you know, whatever they called it before it. Like we, we, you know, it was a weird time because, you know, college music was becoming mainstream and people were upset about it because it was their private thing. And all of a sudden it was everywhere. And I think we got scapegoated a little as, um, you know, this sign that the major labels were destroying indie music. And so um, people carry some residual resentment about that, that concept, which I don't think is actually entirely accurate. Um, but I I mean, I've met people, you know, Sebastian Steinberg, who's like an an astonishing bass player, wonderful guy. I haven't seen him in a while. Like, you know, good friend plays with Fiona Apple. He was in, um, Oh God, uh, Mike Dowdy. What are they called? Uh, New York, uh, uh, crap, that band. And anyway, yeah. <laughs> really arty stuff. Uh, and, and, uh, he met me at, at Largo in Los Angeles and, um, he got to know me as Nickel Creek's friend and a guy that Flanny liked and he loved my songs and we played together. And then at some point he found out I was in Toad and he, he actually had the guts to say to me, like, I fucking hated you. There's, there's the sound. Whatever sound effect you choose, there it is. I hated your band. I I would never have played with you if I'd known you were the guy from Toad. And like, I'm so happy I didn't know you were the guy from Toad. Uh, and, and it was like such a... <laughs> I loved hearing that. Like, it was like... Um, I don't know. It's really honest. Like the the nineties were a strange period for trying to reconcile what it meant to be an indie musician, and everybody was trying You're to right. be so edgy and cool. Soul coughing. That was his band. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and oh God, he's such an insanely gifted musician and such a like a great guy. And I just love that he was able to say like, "I hated you," and. <laughs> Uh, like I never would have listened. I never would have given you the benefit of the doubt if I'd known you were from that band. <laughs> and so, I think but, God he did because he's such a treasure. 
But even with that, I think that, you know, you guys were supposed to go on tour with Gin Blossoms and Bare Naked Ladies. And I think Bare Naked Ladies have gotten more of the, the brunt of that where they're like, you guys are an alternative. Oh, well, they didn't have, I mean, we're happy to finally get to tour with them. I mean, they're one of the bands from that era. They've, they've been so good to their fans forever. Yeah. Um, and put on an amazing live show. They, they really, they've they really always do. put on an, like a no holds barred, like you will not leave unless you've had a good time show. Um, like they play their asses off and, and they, you know, also like of that era, like I was told by somebody, yeah, they like, we've been trying to get on that tour forever. Cause there's only a handful of bands from that era that, you know, still pull an audience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of of that size, I mean, there's Counting Crows, there's them, there's not not a whole lot, and um, we've been trying to get that gig for a long time. And somebody said, "Yeah, it's like they kind of wanted to have bands that were cooler." It's <laughs> 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 like well, I get it. <laughs> I saw them a couple years ago. Uh, KT Tunstall and Better Than Ezra were on that bill. Both cooler than Toad. <laughs> that is not that is not true uh <laughs> I, I will say we have our thing but i think the thing about toad is that we weren't cool is that well, in whatever subtle way like i mean you know i i grew up you know my dad was like you know zen meditator physicist amateur parapsychologist we would watch the prisoner and star trek together as a family like we were nerds we were authentic nerds and uh you know he'd be sitting in bed like i remember walking in you know he and mom would be reading different books of the dune trilogy and you know sit in between them and i'd pull out my robert heinlein and you know like read Asimov and Heinlein and like we, we were like, you know, you know, he taught calculus classes and basic programming classes at our house. And, you know, for kids, like he'd have high school kids come in and we had a bunch of pet computers and like, we were that family. And so, which is just to say, it's like the nicest thing I ever heard said about Toad was from Patton Oswald, who you know, pointed out that we got our name from uh, a Monty Python skit and he knew Monty Python because he was an actual nerd. And he was talking about like the pre-internet nerddom and that it it wasn't an easy place to be. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, and uh, kind of recognized in Toad that we had some kindred spirit uh, energy there. And uh, we were nerds back when it was a little harder and, um, before big bang theory, you know, and the popularity of nerds, right? Yeah, exactly. Before nerds ruled the world, it was back when you just got ostracized or beaten up for it. And, you know, back when like, you know, D and D like, I don't know, first generation D and D players, right? Like, you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, I was a, junior high like playing D, listening to rush and then going home and watching star trek with my dad it's like and so um not that star trek isn't mainstream because no i was i was i was D &D with sticks playing in the background so i get it i had the picture disc of paradise theater that was like my proudest ever album purchase my mom Um, had that that was that was the one of the coolest first albums that i saw i remember that 
Yep, did not hold up over time, but it's all right. I forgive them. <laughs> but in any in any event, there was the, there was like this thing in nineties uh, of everyone had to be edgy and hard. And um, sorry, going back to the original point of it, I got tangential and forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> um, I actually I had a drink before we started this so that I wouldn't cry when going through Peter Gabriel's lyrics because I love this album so much. So. Yeah. Uh, in any event, like the, the nineties was so competitively edgy and it was this idea that if you were deep, you were harsh, you know, and this was before Elliot Smith made it okay to be beautiful again. Yeah. Right. There, there was this period where if you weren't yelling, then you obviously didn't have anything worth hearing. And, um, it wasn't entirely universal, but it felt like there were for the people who I don't know the number of people who were like, Oh, what do you do? It's like, Oh, I work in social services. I'm a, you know, biologist. I'm a, you know, physicist. I'm a mathematician. Like our, somehow there was something in, in who we were and our inability to make ourselves look cooler than we actually were. And like, we didn't understand marketing. We didn't understand imaging. We were awkward. And I think the authentic awkwardness of us spoke to a certain group of people. Like when everybody was trying to be really intense that we were just kind of us. I think it spoke to me. And I think the things you're talking about, Glenn are really part of what drew me to toad and made me such a lifelong fan is that I think that you did capture something that people weren't doing at the time. And I liked a lot of that other stuff too. I I'm, I mm. love Pearl jam and Nirvana and, and angsty stuff and all that. There was so much great angsty stuff. <laughs> there were plenty. Mm-hmm. And you guys brought, there was there was sort of a, a vulnerability and a sincerity that came with you that you weren't getting with everyone else. And I, I you got it from maybe like Michael Stipe at the time. You know, you get some REM, Everybody Hurts, and those sorts of things. Yeah. That, that uh, to me, that did speak to me, that you were willing to be vulnerable and willing to, to tell stories that were vulnerable, even if they weren't you, if it was, you know, one of my favorite Toad's songs is Come Back Down. And, and just mm-hmm. that, that element is not the way that you were hearing things. You were hearing it being yelled about by Alice in Chains, if that song is even close to about anything that I think it's about or it seems like it's about. <laughs> it was about the character Chillum in the movie Salam Bombay. Okay, not exactly what I was thinking, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as not having seen it, but um, it's so, a great movie. Okay, well, oh, I'm God, definitely going to watch Street it based Kids on this. in Bombay, and okay. uh, I don't know how it's held up, but um, it it was really moving to me. Um, but yeah, it's it's just it's a, it was a different. I mean, we were, I don't know, we were kind of doing our own thing, and. Um, and once again, I just feel like the people who got us, it wasn't because it was, it was never because it was cool. <laughs> and the nice thing about not being cool is you get older and you get less cool and you're still not cool. So you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, it was one of the, one of the things for me was an earlier, an early interaction that I had with you was at uh, Horde uh, Festival in, at Shoreline in 97, right? That would be 97. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were doing like the signing off to the side and I, you know, I think it was after you had played if I remember right. But uh, I remember meeting you and being that you were bigger 
uh, as someone to meet for for me at that point in time. I'm 20, I don't know, 23 years old. I'm with my wife and and you were so down to earth. I remember you were you sat down at the table and the first thing when I talked to you, you said you should go see Ben Folds Five. They're amazing, and that was you were the one who told me to go see Ben Folds Five, and you couldn't stop talking about Ben Folds Five and how amazing they, they were. Amazing, <laughs> and I went and saw him, and I, I was like, he was so right. That was the most like intensely interesting thing watching him on the piano I'd seen forever. God, he's a force of nature. He's oh, amazing, incredible. And yeah. right after that, I, I'm pretty sure it was Dean set his chair down on your flip flop flip flopped foot. <laughs> and he set his chair down on it, and you were signing a flat from Coil, one of the promotional flats. And you, you signed it, my toe hurts. And I have that hanging in my living room. That's like <laughs> – but it was it, it was such a down-to-earth interaction from someone that I expected to be so much larger than that, uh, you know, af- after Fear, after Dulcinea, that I expected to to be sort of like humbled to be in your presence or that it was going to be a rock star kind of an experience. And and. I, I think the fact that you were a person and it was one of my first interactions like that, that was one of the things that really drew me to, to toad and, and kept me there forever. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. The rock star thing. It's a weird deal. I kind of knew when I was, I don't know, 16 years old, like I had a theater teacher um, and it was his first year as a full teacher and David Holmes is his name. He's retired a couple of years ago. It's been that long. And he said that, you know, when he got, went in theater school, he, he loved the theater more than anything else. And he saw all his friends preparing to go to LA or New York and do the thing you had to do to be a professional actor. And he thought like, ah, I don't want to sell myself. I just want to do theater. Like, that's what I love is the art. And, and I remember at 16 thinking like, yeah, I want to be a high school teacher like you. Like I want to do art, but I don't want to sell myself. Like I had this thing where I was already like, and then the band got signed anyway. Like most bands try really hard to get signed and we didn't like our demo tape fell in some of these. All of a sudden we had all these A&R people coming to our shows and we're like, yeah, sure. We'll sign with you. And then and we, I, I always thought we get dropped in a couple years and then I go back to school and teach high school and I get to go like, yeah, I guess, you know, I, I got, I put out a couple albums when I was 18 and, um, and instead it became like the thing I did. And, and there's, the ambition part of it never existed for me uh, and until the band broke up and I couldn't get a record deal. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, I want it all back. Uh, but, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a strange world to be in. Like the last couple of years, I feel I felt, you know, now that I'm, I'm going to be 50 at the end of this year and I'm finally feeling like, Oh, okay. Maybe I'm in the right place. Like I get to put out the music I want um, I do a lot of, you know, I've been doing these kind of living room choir well, not since COVID, but last three years, like my favorite thing has been community singing or songs, um, leading song circles where it's these songs that are kind of designed to be, um, sung together as opposed to performed like yeah. completely non-performative music, like much more, it's basically like church without religion. You get together, you sing together, you feel better, you kind of 
get energized for whatever it is you need to bring into the world that week. And um, that's the kind of thing that really turns me on. And uh, my brief experience with, you know, something close to fame was actually really hard for me. I had a ton of, um, you know, imposter syndrome. I didn't understand it. I didn't know how to work in that world. Um, and at the same time, I'm really grateful because it gave me a lot of exposure to amazing, you know, I get to meet and become friends with people like Ben Folds. Like I got yeah. to like meet great artists who have like, um, such abundant creativity and wonder and uh you know a, a character like that is so alive uh and so being around people like that is exciting but like kind of the fame or success side of it has always been a um a, um, a thornier uh edge of it so i like now that no one cares it's kind of nice <laughs> <laughs> Well, at what point did you have you kind of embraced and said, "I'm Glenn from Toad the Wet Sprocket. I'm I'm a musician," or have you come to that? Slowly, even this year, actually, I was I was like uh, probably about eighty percent done with another solo album, and thought like, ah, I can you know it's. I put out a record more recently than Toad did. And if I love these songs and if I do them on a solo record, then um, I, I won't be able to play them at Toad shows. And then right. I'd rather be able to play them at Toad shows and my shows. And and so like decided like, Hey, can we do a Toad record? I like, I'm like, let's, let's do this. Um, and like, just to embrace, it's like more, more people are there and, um, not, and finally, instead of thinking like, I want to be seen as a, you know, a viable solo artist, it's like just going like, I just kind of, I just want to write songs and play them for people. And, yeah. and to, to really see the gift that Toad is that, you know, we are popular enough at a certain time that I can still go out and play new songs. And we have an audience that because we weren't cool, like, or be, you know, like they still want to hear the new stuff and that's like an insane gift. Like, yeah, yeah. we play the old hits, but uh, we actually have an audience that leans forward when we have new material. So, you know, and we've worked up some new songs and, and like, I'm excited about putting this record out. Uh, we were planning on touring twice as much. I was also like, well, I, you know, like I kind of got a, I want to be able not to retire someday, but like what happens if I can't tour at some point, like I don't actually have enough, you know, don't own a home. Don't, don't have mailbox. You know, none of the songs I've written in the last 20 years earn anything. Uh, and so it's like, huh, I, I need to start saving money. I want to tour more. I've been avoiding tour more. It's like, let's tour a lot this year and I'm going to save a lot so that, you know, cause I'm 50 cause I may not want to tour so much when I'm 60. And right. so this is like, I better save up now. Uh, and of course no touring. So, <laughs> so did you not get any placements anywhere from anything from new constellation? We didn't have a single placement anywhere from new constellation. Really? No placements at all. Kind I'm, of amazing. I'm shocked by that. Yeah, that album has earned us very little. Uh, I mean, 
you know, it gets it it gets it gets a certain amount of plays, and it's mm -hmm. on Toad playlists. And I think the reason it earns money is because it's on the same playlist as All I Want and Walk on the Ocean. But yeah, and, and the Toad fans do listen to it and like it. But um, no placements from that. I've had three placements in the last. I've been doing solo albums now for what twenty years, and I've had three placements. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Last re last good placement I had was in episode two of Breaking Bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Um, so touring's it. My Venmo is anyway. Uh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it's an interesting. Uh, I mean, yeah. It's just. I guess that's how it is. And at the same time, we have a a really we have a really dedicated fan base, and I. You know, especially, you know, with COVID, like I started doing these, I just pressed the live button one night. I plugged in a mic, pressed live on Facebook and like went, I guess I'm doing a concert and like saw that I could add a nonprofit and I, you know, started doing these benefits. Uh, and I started doing them five times a week and now I do them Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 6 p.m., uh, 6 p.m. Pacific time. And I've had a different nonprofit for every show because uh, there's endless needs to be filled. And, uh, I, you know, I do half an hour to an hour, all depending on how I'm feeling. And um, what's been weird, you know, I started adding my PayPal in the, in the side on that. People were sending me messages saying, can I pay you too? Thank you for doing that. And so I'm like, okay. And I, I put my paypal and the um and my venmo in the show description and it and my rent is getting paid which is really kind of amazing <laughs> and like seeing um i don't know both the uh seeing the audience show up and that i don't have to like pound it in or make a sob story um I just kind of make it available and um, to have led by, you know, I think we've raised over 60 grand, you know, for various That's charities awesome. Awesome. over the last few months. And it, it's been, um, and I didn't know that number until some fans, they were making like a COVID tour t-shirt and uh, <laughs> that's going to be a, um, an equal justice initiative benefit. And uh it was, it was, you know, they did the counting for me. It's like, Oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. right. And yeah. so, uh, but it's, it's been fascinating to see how people have turned out and like the reciprocity of, you know, giving first. Uh, and I like to think the world can work that way where if you kind of start with generosity, it, it comes back. Um, you know, that doesn't have to be, I don't know. There, there, there's this, like yeah. a Mary Oliver poem that's like it's giving until the giving feels like receiving, and that at some point it, it can actually even become that, you know. Uh, and uh, so it's it's been a really beautiful time for me to kind of value the quality of the audience the band built, and that you know as much as we had Columbia Records and you know we were on the radio and there was this time like that that what made people stick with us for thirty years is that we're not like one massive single thick, you know, right. and that there, we invested a lot of our time and, you know, it was only, I think 
after I got divorced, we used to hang out for two hours after every show talking to people. And I started having panic attacks after my divorce. Like there was a, like to stay present for people. Um, I, and I was getting older. I just needed to go to bed after shows. And, uh, but that only stopped a few years ago. And I think having done that for so long, uh, and like the more you give at the end of the day, like we have people we gave a lot to for a long time and there's a reciprocity in there. And, uh, we don't even have to ask too much, uh, for that audience to really be there for us. And it's a profound thing to see what that investment, uh, you know, has, has given us, like we haven't, I don't know. We weren't the multi-platinum record. You know, we 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 were like our record company was always frustrated that all these bands were doing so. You know, like selling so many more records than we were. Uh, we did okay, but like we had a f- fan base that we I don't know really attended to and showed up for, and it's paid off. So sorry, I was going to say the funny thing is you're you're getting too old to hang out afterward. Uh, not too old. I didn't mean to say it that way, Glenn. Uh, mm. But you're feeling that, and as someone that used to be the same way, I wanted to hang out forever and just just to be able to interact a little bit. And you guys were always so great about it. We went and saw you. Uh, I, I was able to take my family to Ojai um, to the oh, yeah. uh, what's that called? The bowl, the Libby Bowl, I think. Libby Bowl. And, yeah. Yeah. And after the show, they're like, are we going to hang out? And I'm like, I, you know what? I'm ready to drive home back to Santa Cruz. I didn't, I had the same stamina yeah. issue of like, I'm ready to go home tonight. And I've had my interactions and, uh, but, uh, you know, my kids were, were kind of ready to, to stick around and meet you guys and, and all that stuff. But I'm feeling the same way. The, the one thing I'll say about the Libby Bowl that, uh, I wanted to get out was, uh, that was the first time seeing you guys without Randy and, and, mm. I missed him. I don't know what that is, but I definitely, uh, I missed him and, and it was, it was weird to not see him there. Uh, but, uh, you know, that was the one thing that, you know, it doesn't, it didn't change the music. It just, it was just kind of sad to me to not see Randy there. Yeah. I miss him too. Uh, and, and I will also say like having Josh and there's, there's something about like looking back at him and he's this young pup. He's like the biggest fan of the band. Yeah. And the rest of us, we can all get a little jaded and like, you look back at him and he's like this golden retreat smiles. Like, yeah. he, like he wouldn't yeah. be anywhere else. And it, it, and I have to say, it's also, he's been a bit of jet fuel for us. Uh, you know, the difference, uh, and, and man, I love Randy and yeah. how, how uh, is he doing? He's doing good. Actually. I, I talked to him a couple weeks ago. Um, but he's doing good. What is he doing? Uh, he is, um, taking care of his son. He's doing a little bit of session work, a little bit of teaching and just kind of, he's, you know, having life transitions right now. Like we all are. Um, but he's, he's solid. Part of my fondness was because of one of the after show interactions. It was at, uh, the Canyon club in, in, uh, the Agora, I guess is, Mm -hmm. is, you know, being able to take my boys the first time to see you and, uh, my middle son is 11 or was 11 at the time. And is, was a drummer and that's all he wanted. He wanted to meet Randy and everybody else was out and Randy was tearing stuff down. So he just wanted to stand by the stage and Randy finally noticed him standing there and he came over to talk to him and he wanted to tell him he was a drummer and, and wanted to meet Randy and Randy went and got him a couple of sticks and signed them and, 
And uh, it was just a good, you know, you guys have always had that, that thing that, uh, you know, there was time for uh, fans and people that uh, was always appreciated. So, so I've got a, I've got a couple questions before we jump into the record that you chose. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. Um, So, so first thing is um, I am going to have to tip you for um, last night's Facebook live because uh, your cover of the Waterboys Hole Hole of the Moon mm. gave gave me goosebumps. That was Thank fantastic. You. That yeah, was fantastic. That was my friend Robinson, yeah, he turned. And you also that. played "Grief and Praise," which is a song that uh, last year when my dad was uh, having some health problems mm-hmm. and ultimately passed away, that was a a song that gave me uh, a lot of. Uh, a lot of calm. Holy sisters and children of mine, humble my heart, sharpen my mind. Those scattered and weary, changes pause. We are bound till the end. Still a family, I promise. You love be taken someday by the angel of death or the servants of change in a flood water tide without rancor or age. So sing loud while you're able in grief and in praise. So my question for you is with all the turmoil in the world today, how do you, how are you able to sing loud where there is a lot of grief and praise in, in the world today? Um, it's a, it's such a strange time, right? I mean, we've yes. got, uh, the pandemic plus, um, you know, seeing, you know, once again, how uh, uh, the deep cut of racism and um, on top of that, the, you know, this, this extended period of time in which, and the police have been militarized and the cost of that. And on top of that, this kind of top down authoritarian permission for, you know, brutality and um a kind of willful uh ignorance and and uh bullying and callousness and and so we're we're uh, this is this is a it's a poignant time <laughs> um, right uh how great is the supreme court right now well the last two days all the last two days well, have been fantastic I mean, last two days have been fantastic. We'll we'll see how it continues. Yeah, um, some, some razor thin margins that you got to worry about. That's for sure. It's razor thin uh, margins, and yeah. um, yeah, it's you know, uh, I'm glad to to feel like it's still a court. I think it's that. It's like yeah. you worry that it's been stacked where it's entirely partisan, and it's really good to see that there's actually, um some judging going on, uh, and, and, you know, from, uh, and so 
it's not all going to come down. I mean, I am, I am pro-choice and I, uh, that, that may not survive this. And there are other things in terms of, you know, language of, you know, what's being called religious freedom, which is being described as the freedom to discriminate that, that could basically overrule the application of, um, you know, the, the, the stuff that's happening that's positive for the LGBTQ community is like, if, if it's like, nope, you can't discriminate as employer, but if, if the uh, add-on to that is unless you say it's your religion, in which case you totally can, uh, that would be a problem. And so there, there's still stuff um, that has to be resolved, you know. Uh, yeah. And the, so we're we're not done yet. <laughs> uh, still some work to do. The doctor yeah. ruling made me really happy. Yeah, it's 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 a complicated time, and um, you know we're not going to figure out both. How, you know, I think, you know, demilitarization, you know, having every police interaction not immediately be potentially fatal is important. Uh, Learning to bring, you know, social workers into situations that are better for social workers. And also having to admit this is a country full of guns. Mm -hmm. And how do you respond to that? We do need law enforcement. And, you know, I live in a white privileged bubble where I get, I've had positive interactions with the police pretty much entirely. Uh, and I understand that is not the norm for a, a great percentage of the country. And um, it's, you know, it's having the imagination in our compassion to, to really listen to other people's experiences. Yeah. Uh, if I were to say, well, there's no police, but every time I get pulled over, you know, I've been pulled over twice where they let me go. Cause I say, I know I was like, literally like that would never happen to a black person No, where you get pulled over and you say, yeah, I'm sorry. I was listening to me. I was putting a CD in the thing and I, I went over the lines. I'm really sorry. And they go, okay, just be careful. And they let me go. Yeah. You know, I'm not thinking I have to be as deferential as possible or I will die today. And yeah. what's the last thing I said to my wife? You know, <laughs> like right. I don't have to go through that question. And, uh, so for people to just have the imagination, the trust, the capacity to listen to people who's different, you know, who have different experiences is important. And so for me, I look at a lot of my songs and what's weird is, you know, how many songs I have that, you know, song duck and cover that's all about, you know, everything's going to be all right. And, and I sing that and I sometimes think like, it's a really privileged position like for a lot of people, you don't have a guarantee that everything will be all right. Like that's, that's really privileged. Yeah. Um, uh, during all this stuff, Glenn, it's it, it's it, it with so much troubling going on. I'm grateful for music because I'm turning there a lot, and so I'm grateful for stuff like that. I do wonder for you. I mean, I guess it's kind of piggybacking on what Ben says. One of the things I do is is a stand up comic, and I can tell you that right now I just don't feel funny, and I don't f- know how to feel funny. Uh, I'm not finding much success writing and things like that. And I, it's not quite like music where the, the online stuff doesn't work quite the same without the audience. So I'm not being forced to try too much, but when I watch your shows, you do seem like you you're comfortable providing whatever that is, the art in the moment. Um, do you, are you finding it hard to do that? And it, 
like like what you're saying about evaluating duck and cover of, of like is this a privileged thing should i feel as comfortable being this way or do you just grasp that what you're providing is art and i'm and providing what i can and i'm providing it from my experience and i mean it's the weird thing about privilege like i'm i am grateful for my privilege uh the difference between privilege and entitlement is if you think you deserve your privilege right uh, or if you yeah. don't notice your privilege and you think it's just normal. And I mean, there, somebody had the you know statement that the, the revocation of privilege feels like oppression, right? Uh, and I think white America may feel some of that. Uh, I hope that we lose some of our privilege and that the, you know, once again, not that we're lessened, but that everyone is equaled. Uh, and, and it's the interesting thing in looking at, for instance, you know, the Supreme Court and the idea, you know, that, that there's some segment of the population that feels that anything that is different than they are is somehow an existential threat to them. That if you are straight, cis, white, you know, once again, it's like, is Christianity under attack? I don't think so. It's like, how many presidents have we had that are not Christian? Like you could, I, some people would say one, Kennedy, he was Catholic. Uh, as, as a non-Christian, I would say none, uh, you know, all white except one. And that doesn't prove that we're not racist. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's a time for us to, I think, examine our privileges, um, and be willing to share them and, uh, be willing to give up our comfort and, um, let other voices speak instead of speaking for them. Um, and it's also, uh, yeah, it, it, it's poignant in so many ways. And I, I get afraid of being yet another, you know, white artist trying to act a little bit woke and I'll do my few weeks, you know, for instance, next week, I'm not, I, I switched to only supporting, um, you know, kind of black charities directly involved and actually trying to work that through the Facebook donate button has been really frustrating because i cannot actually connect to most of these nonprofits through their oh. so i'm having to connect to outside stuff you know vetting organizations educating myself trying to do that quickly you know next week i am doing i had planned this before i'm you know coordinating with people i know who run uh nonprofits out of santa barbara so i'm kind of leaving that part of the moment, but I'm going to come back to it for a while after. And you don't want to do this thing where it's like, well, I did a few benefits, so now I feel less guilty, so now I can ignore it again, <sighs> right? And so it's a, it's an ongoing thing. So it's not like, you know, I just listened to this podcast. I love this podcast, Reply All, um, and, and it's generally about the internet. The, the one this week was on, you know, black people talking about like, all of a sudden getting these like Venmos of like, here, here's five bucks for coffee, like from white friends they haven't heard from in 10 years. Uh, you know, just That's like, weird. and, and yeah. mostly like, you know, middle class people who don't need you to pay for their cup of coffee. It's like, is this what's making you feel better about this moment? <laughs> like that's your, uh, that's your reparation. Yeah. That's your reparation. I don't want to yeah. feel uh, like that guy. Uh, and at the same point, part of the uncomfortability of this moment is that no matter what I do, I am that guy. 
I am yeah. a guy who lives in Santa Barbara, who grew up uh, with the privilege of white skin, with the privilege of being male, with the privilege of living in a town where even when I you know, went to a protest and walked down State Street the other day, I knew there was no way tear gas or rubber bullets were going to be a part of it. it wasn't going to happen here. Yeah. And my day-to-day -day reality is not the reality many people deal with. And so when we're talking about, you know, define, like these are complex questions that are fueled by huge emotions. And like all I can do, you know, is I sing songs about, you know, in I sing songs people want to hear because they make them feel better. I sing some songs for myself. And even as I'm singing my kind of, you know, peace and love songs, you know, songs like uh, the song Gather, uh, you know, lay down your arms, gather your friends. I think, well, laying down your arms is, is a, that's a, that's a privilege, you know, yeah. if yeah. you're being shot at. Uh, not everybody can afford that. Uh, you know, we ask the people who are sitting in the face of brutality to do inhuman acts of self-sacrifice uh, in order to prove their humanity, where we get to just walk wherever we want to walk and do whatever we want to do, and our right to be there is never questioned. And so uh, it's hard to know what the right thing is. It's just fucking uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's... There's no way around that. There's no shortcut. There's no way to make it better. There's no nothing we can really do except take a long view. And and we can't allow the discomfort to to leave us uh, actionless or not being willing to participate. I guess is the thing I'm finding too. Is that it's not it's not it's not okay to just go. I'm uncomfortable, so I'll just watch. Um, you know, you, you, you still, I think have to, we have to, you know, we have to do what you're talking about. You guys have to find a way to see if you can be part of something that's positive and, and helping, even if you're afraid that you might make a misstep, you know? Yeah. And, and I've been negotiating, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the election of Trump was so defeating for me because he was such an obviously immoral, terrible human being just from the very beginning like he was he was clearly not a good person and it was so defeating for me when he was elected it felt like an act of vandalism and mm. uh and so i bit my tongue a lot and there were you know i had a couple of years where i didn't know what to say and i felt like things were so divisive if i tried and and there's so much you know in the comments section right there's so much like you want to change people's minds. You want to do this. And I feel like in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with just about anybody, I can find common ground. Um, and I practiced for years and years, partially because there were a lot of like very conservative evangelicals who were toad fans and, um, fly from heaven. <laughs> yeah. I had great conversations with them. Yeah. Uh, I like really amazing conversations and I learned to go, okay, we have really different worldviews, but what do you essentially want? And it's like, what do you want? You want your family to be okay. Uh, you want a sense of fairness in the world. You want goodness to prevail. You want everybody actually to be all right. Like with very few exceptions, um, you know, and it depends on the information you get, the worldview you have. But 
I found a lot of value in having those personal conversations and finding the common ground. And, and yes, I also have my idea that uh, my ideas my worldview is more valid than everybody else's. You know, I'm enough of an egotist to have that. But I feel like I could open people up to understanding that um, liberals were not necessarily the thing that Fox News was telling them they were. Uh, yeah. And that um, we were actually had, a, had deep morality and... Uh, and finding common ground and like, you know, that thing of changing people's minds by not by yelling at them, but just by showing up and, and being compassionate by yeah. actually demonstrating the thing you're talking about. And, um, you know, the most compelling and having conversations. Yeah. Like meeting nickel Creek, you know, you know, when they were young and deeply devotional, um, really, cured a lot of my prejudices about, uh, about religion. Uh, yeah. and I saw their openness and their, their humanity, their compassion. Um, it really informed me. And so, um, at this time when things are really divisive and the tool I have personally is going on Facebook, which is where all decency dies, uh, <laughs> Just putting up like a Black Lives Matter, you know, thing will cause a lot of people to write in and say, I'll never listen to music again. I'm blocking you. Uh, screw you forever. And we never get to have that. Like the thing that I feel I lose in those interactions is not losing the fan, but losing the opportunity um, to have a conversation someday. Right. And uh, it's become so extreme and binary. So that that part of it worries me. And at the same time, I've also wondered, you know, with cognitive dissonance, what's the point with, you know, in the Trump world where you go like, where people who voted for him and carried water for him are able to finally say like, this is, wait, this, he's a bad guy. And I think yeah. for a lot of people who are like, you know, I want my tax cut, what could happen is like, wow, you just tear gassed and shot people. So you could go hold up a Bible in front of a church you don't attend you're evil. You're absolutely yeah. actually evil. Like, uh, and I think that was the moment for a lot of people that was the last straw. I mean, he said he could shoot people in the street and he'd still keep all his fans. And he did it. He literally yeah. did it. And thank goodness that there are enough people who have the discernment to, to have that be their breaking point. And I'm not saying that Biden is like going to be some savior. He is not uh, who I would have chosen. He's not perfect, but um, he's he's not as dangerous. <laughs> he's at least saying the right things for me, and i i have I have realized over the last three years how liberal I actually am because i I grew up very conservative, um, religious background, and um, I, I am noticing more and more that I am, I, I want to have those conversations with the other parties because I feel like um, no change is going to happen unless you just have some of those meaning, meaningful conversations. But the problem is, is I think that too many people are just, they're 
they're ready to tune you out if mm. you know if, i mean case in point i don't have we don't have a ton of of twitter followers i mean we've got i don't know 550 or whatever it is i put up on that black tuesday where the music industry yeah. you know was like hey we're going to be we're going to be silent today and we we want people to just think about where your place in the world is and how you can make the world a better place. And so I, I turned, I tuned out Twitter for the day. Mm-hmm. I come back the following day. I've got 12 less Twitter followers mm-hmm. <laughs> than I did the day before, yeah. you know, no, no conversation about, look, we didn't like that. You put that up. Um, we're just going to unfollow. And it's like, Let's have a conversation about this. Yeah, there, there's so much common ground. And I feel like, you know, there there were a lot of people who went into Trump feeling like, hey, the system is stacked against you. You don't get a fair shot. Like corporations are running out. Like that's common ground. Like so mm-hmm. much of that is common ground. Um, but we're also encountering the fact that we're a really racist country. And, you know... Um, every Karen out there and every, you know, it's like, sorry, Karen's, this is a bad what's, country. what's the male equivalent of a Karen Todd, Todd, <laughs> is it it's Todd? Todd? I'm going Todd oh. or Trevor. It's Todd or Trevor. I think is the, <laughs> don't tell your bandmate that. Okay. I, I won't. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I have two friends that are both. Yeah. It's a strange time because we also see like no people are really racist and they don't think they are the the hard thing to watch for me right now is there are so many people that are hurting yeah there's so much pain and the pain is so palpable when you stop and watch it that i don't i'm having a hard time grasp grasping some of the people that look at the pain and their reaction is quickly to argue with it as opposed to just taking in the pain a little bit and that's where you start to go i think the race the racism is more ingrained than I ever realized because of who I am and what I grew up with and didn't live with it forever. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I did a show in uh, Oklahoma city in, in the fall uh, with a, a black headliner and became friends with him over the four days we were there. And one night someone walking out of the show called him the N word. I'd never seen it in my life before. I was mm, just, it, it felt like someone punched me in the chest. It was, it was so uh, it, it was so disorienting and painful, and it wasn't even directed at me. It was directed at someone that I had become friends with for, for three, four days. But it was looking at his reaction and understanding that it was far from the first time he'd experienced it. And that was that was it was just yeah. an eye-opening event for me in a way that made me understand that this is it's just more common than we want to talk about. And it's constant. It's yeah. constant. It's ubiquitous, and it's an experience we want to ignore. A- and once again, you know, in the all lives matter kind of thing, I-, I think that's this reaction of going like, you know, somebody tells you about their pain, and it's just, you know, this is a thing that we have, you know, even in our interpersonal relationships, right? I experienced this a lot as a father, of my kids telling me something that was hurting them. And I tried to relate to them by telling them something that I thought was an an, an analogous experience of mine. They're like a dad no, moment. Like, no, you don't get it. This is what happened to me. 
oh yeah, something like that. No, you don't get it. This is what happened to me. And like as dad having to be like, oh God, I just need to listen and say, I hear you. And that must've hurt so much. That's all I need to say. I need to say, I hear you. And when you go from Black Lives Matter to All Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter, you're saying, yes, but. And you're not taking the pause to actually go like, that. I can't imagine what it would be like to never feel safe, to feel scrutinized with every place I go into. You know, I I remember being on tour with a sound guy who was like, no, America isn't racist, this, that. And, you know, he was insisting like that we were beyond racism and, you know, was saying, okay, your studio and you have, you know, two interns of, you know, similar, (laughs) you know, similar experience and one's a black kid and he's like, you know, been working on his own making fat feet. And, you know, he's like, like, which are you going to hire? He's like, I'd hire the white kid. And I like, can you imagine like that experience, like multiplied by every experience you ever have? Every job you don't get, every opportunity you have for education, like every professor talking to the white kid longer than they talk to you or encouraging the white kid more than they encourage you. Or like, can you imagine the grief of living constantly within that rejection? And and then tell me that it's not systemic. And, And like, it was the moment where he finally was like, huh. But that took, you know, like a five-hour drive between gigs, just the two of us in a car, and really hearing him out and really, you know, and I don't know if I change, you know, once again, my job is not to change his politics, but I feel like there was this crack in perspective where he, for the first time, like went like, oh, that would suck. Being black in America is hard. And he just wasn't willing to look at it until like, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's strange. Like that reaction, like to, to, and I know because I I've committed that sin so many times myself of not listening to somebody's story and wanting to identify with them by equating my own pain to theirs. And that's not the point. And I know that, you know, as a person who suffered from a lot of depression, like the the fundamental underlying factor of depression is like for me at least was this feeling of like I want to be heard I want somebody to acknowledge my pain yeah. I don't want to be talked out of it I don't want to be told it'll get better I don't I want somebody simply to go like that must hurt so much <laughs> and not add anything <laughs> you yep. know and if we, can start, if we can start there, there's plenty of times to come back to all lives mattering because nobody disagrees. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nobody's yeah. ever disagreed. Anyway. Weren't we supposed to talk about music or something on this? <laughs> oh, there's this album by Peter Gabriel called yeah. So, yeah. and it's amazing. There we go. All right, let's 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 jump into it because I don't know how to segue from. Yeah, how do you? That. How do you? It's but, been an hour and it's been yeah. over an hour already. I know. I you know I always tell my guests because they're like, well, what's the format like? I'm like, well, we'll talk like for 15 minutes about whatever topic you want to talk about, whatever you're promoting, etc. And um, every so often, like uh, we'll have 
go into these big long conversations and well you can do it as a two-parter yeah no no split it like now and we can say hey (laughs) and here's the commercial break (laughs) right yeah um all right what are you doing casper helix it's got to be a mattress everlane thread up like I'm, I'm just assuming for the advertisement. Or, what, which, yeah, which, all the, yeah. the podcast advertisements. It's you. Yeah. It's either a mattress or an online clothing thing. or or a food a food delivery service like food uh, delivery service, and now also therapy. Blue Apron or, or whatever. We have no we have no promotion on any episode, so we're oh we're, Adam and Eve. AdamandEve.com. <laughs> for all you. Don't, don't, don't let him. Don't let him convince you that he's, he wouldn't be a sellout if it wasn't there. We just he doesn't Real have doll. It yet. Like it's not there yet. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, if Casper wants to throw me some money, I'll 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 read yeah. I'll read some 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 press. Sure. God, I sleep on my cat. Don't we all sleep on our Casper every night, like the dad? Y- yeah. Well, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to it. So tell, tell our audience what record you chose to revisit for this episode. I chose Peter Gabriel's, uh, so perfect. And I just had Matt Nathanson on and I told him that you were the next guest and he goes, um, Glenn probably picked a talk, talk record, right? I almost did. I, I kind of <laughs> figured you were. Yeah. I almost did, but I figured so, um, Talk Talk is like subtly influential, whereas I feel like so is, I don't know. And for me, had a like so and OK Computer are the two albums in my lifetime that I feel had a Sgt. Pepper's level of influence on how albums were made and yeah. how people wrote songs. And yeah. Um, so. And, so. and people know it. So why not? They they do. Uh, this is the fifth studio album from Peter Gabriel. And I was kind of floored by that because I know so really well, but I don't really know previous catalogs. So I spent some of this week listening to the back catalog. And um, I like the two records before so. The first two solo records, not so much. Mm-hmm. What do you guys have to say about previous catalog before so? Well, and those are all weird. It's like there's melting. They don't. A few of them don't have titles, right? <laughs> all of them don't have titles. Yeah. I mean the the U.S. releases. I think they put they put some titles on third and fourth. Our window with rain. <laughs> right, right. Were you, were you listening to the Deutsches versions of them or the uh, English language? The English oh. language, yeah. Right, because that might yeah. color it a little bit. I think there's great stuff throughout them. I, there's, oh, yeah. This is the first one as an album that I was like, oh, this is I attached to this in a very different way. Um you know, the, the, in particular, you go back to, you know, Peter Gabriel one, that's where you get Salisbury Hill, I, I, which is Amazing. probably my second favorite uh, Peter Gabriel song of all time. So there's definitely there's gems, there's Biko, there's there's stuff throughout. Uh, sure. Yeah. As, as albums, I didn't attach to anything until so. There's this buoyancy to um, so, though, that, that those records don't have. Um, an ensemble feel and 
it's also the the real the incorporation of all the voices on it meaning like i don't know less him and his synthesizers and his, like they feel less sheltered mm -hmm. um it's a big production but instead of being like this um i don't know bombast it feels celebratory in some way and like it, it's this landmark and kind of including these world voices and influences in a way that wasn't exploiting them in the most cliche way it's 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 the most accessible by far you know i mean i guess that's the music yeah. cliche that you go with is accessibility too. it's accessible but it's not like it's less innovative no or, it's still ambitious it's still interesting yeah yeah. Is that Dan Daniel Lanois' influence in production work? I mean, I think it's Dan. I think it's Lanois, and I also think it's um, Peter Gabriel maturing into himself. Okay, and like before anybody else was doing it in this way. I mean, I feel like I'm gonna slag on like, uh, and I think he's one of the best songwriters ever, like Paul Simon, but. Like he's not just taking from these outside influences. Like he, this was this time where he's, you know, finding all these different voices and integrating them, but I think not colonializing them. Like, yeah. you know, out of this came real world. Like he's bringing these people on it, like as, as a fan, right. Not as like, oh, here's this quaint thing happening in Brazil. I think I'll appropriate that, write a song around it and say, I wrote it. Like, it's like he brought these people on tour or put their records out in ways that they could be seen. Like he was trying to put these other people front and center in a humble way. And once again, like as a fan, not as a, a, a thief. <laughs> and, right. And uh, there's there's a lot to be said for that. And perhaps not perfectly, but uh, he's changed uh, by by these things in a way that he incorporates throughout. Uh, yeah, and, to and, as opposed to just borrowing for a second for for a, a, a performance piece. And I think it's a landmark record in how it integrates uh, electronic music and synthesizers and acoustic sounds and. Uh, you know, it's like, I think of all the stuff that followed all the thousands of, you know, like, you know, songs you hear in a yoga class of like, a you know, a drum loop and, you know, some, <laughs> you know, some sample from something in Sanskrit and, you know, that's thrown in and just repeated over and over. And he wasn't like, there are these cheaper ways of like world music integration. And he was taking all his background in songwriting and uh trying to synthesize something new with it i mean it's a it's like a pretty groundbreaking record um yeah and once again just if you just go from a technical side in terms of um acoustic versus synthetic and how to make those move into something organic and he also has this pull in so many songs uh, like Mercy Street is a great example of like emphasizing both the cut time and the half time of a rhythm where you're like, is this slow or fast? Cause it actually right. feels like both. Like I could dance to this and it's really relaxed and 
He's and I don't know. There's like it's a it's a really deep record. <laughs> yes, it, yes, it, yeah. And we'll go into individual songs, so I won't. I have. Yeah, we should probably start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you 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 brought up you brought up two things. So world music and Paul Simon. So so lost to Paul Simon's Graceland at the Grammys for album of the year. Mm-hmm. Um. We uh, we like to to you know put everything in the nice little neat Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums of all time. Uh, this definitely makes the list at 187. Um, here here are some of the ones that are ahead of them, and I have to call BS on a few of the <laughs> the, the 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 albums that are ahead of it. At uh, 186 is Fresh by Sly and the Family Stone. Fuck yeah. Yeah, 185 is the Stooges first record. Mm-hmm. Here here's where I'm going to call BS. So here's my first BS of of the closest ones. Uh the Immaculate Collection by Madonna. Come on. Do you really put a greatest hits record? Yeah. Well, and Madonna is a cultural icon, but as a musical art, you know, that's an interesting. She's an interesting question because she Yeah. It's kind of saying that that I, I think that positioning is just saying Madonna. Yeah, that's what it is. Right. right. <laughs> we right. felt the need to put put something there. She's in there. She meant a lot yeah. in a certain way, but it wasn't necessarily. Yeah, but um, yeah, I would not put that above. So yeah. 183 is Redheaded Stranger by Willie Nelson, which is a great record. 182 is Fleetwood Mac. So it's the the first record with Stevie and Lindsay. Yeah. Um, one eighty one is Natty Dread by Bob Marley and the Whalers. One eighty is the Rolling Stones now, which I don't. It's I don't know, know that one. Most pro, mostly pretty good company then. Yeah. Are we gonna do? or are we just just doing you no i'm, I'm I, I just i just wanted to, to to call the bs on 179 and 178 so 179 is the definitive collection by abba and then 178 hang on, hang on. yeah slag abba though come on <laughs> no but i'm slag i'm slagging the greatest hits greatest, records like once greatest. again it's like giving it to madonna it's another yeah. like well abba meant a lot it meant a lot yeah. to a lot of people, so here's the album that probably represents the things that, that. meant the most to the most people. But yeah, yeah. greatest hits shouldn't beat out uh, anything like this. Well, and I will also say the album making. I mean, th- there is some good Swedish engineering, and like that, the 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 craft of that is is uh, is exceptional. Yeah. Um, but once again, like I bet. In you know, if you go up the hundred and whatever from there, you'll find three or four records that would never have been made if so hadn't existed. Yeah, agreed. I mean, the the yeah. I think the one unforgivable sin of uh, and it's why it's like well we'll get there solo on my list is the Sakahachi sample. Um, but I don't even think that was Peter's fault. <laughs> yeah, maybe like not. A, Mm-hmm. The, the you know that that showed up in a few too many places after the fact but i don't know stuff will right <laughs> all right well let's let's get into the track by track so as a reminder our scoring is going to be based on number of songs on the record jeff this is where i usually throw it to wayne i know my job i know my job what is it bring it 
How many songs on this record? There are nine songs on this record, Ben. Fantastic. So we are we are scoring the cassette version and the CD version of So because I had the record back in the day and it did not include the song This is the Picture and then in parentheses Excellent Birds. So my head's there laughing. Right. Exactly. So we're 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 doing the cassette and the C D version. No. No, we'll 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 get there. All right. (laughs) All right. So first song is Red Rain. talk about on these episodes where the sequencing is super important where um and i think that peter gabriel wanted to come out swinging and i think he succeeded with this song what do you guys have to say about red fantastic opener great way to open the album for sure yeah i i'm a little ashamed uh that it's as low in my rating as it is but it's like just like the Stuart Copeland hi-hat at the beginning and the everything in, in the sound of the track, the energy of it is amazing. I, I had trouble with um, my number one was clear cut right from the beginning. We'll get to that eventually, but I had trouble with the next four in terms of where to score them. And I bounced back and forth a lot. This mm-hmm. is definitely one of those. Um, this one, I, I love it as a 12 year old in, uh, you know, 86, I interpret this as being about communism because when I was 12, mm. everything was about communism. <laughs> I had just yeah, seen sure. Rocky four the year before. Red. So everything red to me was cold war, which is why I eventually, you know, went and spent a summer in Russia was, <laughs> I just was so mm. fascinated at that point, uh, with all of it. But, uh, it was interesting reading a little bit more about, you know, it was more just dreams and red wine spilling and people in bottle form falling off of, uh, falling off of a cliff and, and, and wine spilling out of them. And, and then it's been used to, you know, be a metaphor for, you know, post-apocalyptic, uh, nuclear imagery and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, even AIDS and, and different things at different points. So it's, it's a song that seems like it can mean a lot of things to different people. Yeah. Uh, you guys listened to the, um, Gabriel record from about 10 years ago called new blood. That's the yeah. orchestral, yeah. That's the yeah, 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 yeah. Fantastic. Oh, I did hear that. He did. He did the reinterpretation of the song with the orchestra, and it worked really good. I played it at one of my shows last week. Somebody, I forget what song they'd requested, but I ended up like his songs are so chordally simple um, that there, there's so much in the like uh, arrangement of them and the, the procession of them. I missed that one. Apparently. Yeah. Okay. It was really fun. I'd never played it all the way through. I was like five minutes before I went on, I like <laughs> looked up the lyric and was like, Oh yeah, I could probably pull it off. And I just, I did it. And then I turned it into, there's a song of mine called it takes time from my first solo album. And I somehow realized they were the same chords and 
ended up doing this kind of putting them together. It was fun. Very uh, cool. but, uh, it's a good song. It hits. It's like one of those songs that has a ner- that Nirvana quality of, I have no idea what it's about, but it really affects me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like it does knowing that it comes, I didn't do a whole lot of research on this. And so knowing where it comes from, uh, I like that it was out of dreams because it has, it has that quality of. It, it has a feeling of a song that you feel like has powerful meaning, whether you know it or not. It just, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it feels like it moves that part of the needle. Yeah. 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 I come to you defenses down with the trust of a child, like something, the intensity of, of yeah, something uncontrollable and painful and, and being completely like there's the, the emotional truth of it really works. Yeah. Um, so scoring wise, so knowing that this was one of those records that was, you know, super, influential for us people who grew up during the eighties. So I threw this out to some of our listeners and said, Hey, do you guys want to score this at home? And so I've got, uh, I've got, I guess, seven, seven people who gave me their scores. And this was cumulatively, this was their second favorite song overall. If you look at the, the, the scores. Um, in fact, uh, Derek, uh, care of you, uh, this was his favorite song. Um, he was the only one who didn't pick um, from from everybody who didn't pick the one particular song that's going to be our our number one song. So this was as high as was, this was as high as my second favorite when I first scored it, and then it fell a little bit as I spent a little more time with a couple other songs this, during mm-hmm. the week. Yeah, what's your what is your score, Jeff? Mine's a six on this. Uh, again, it's I feel like I've got eight A through C, but it's a six. That's that's where I'm at. All right. And then Glenn, I, your score. I ended up on six as well, and and feel like I probably should have rated it higher. It, it feels low, doesn't it, for this song? Yeah, it, it really does. Feels weird for that one to uh, be that yeah. low. Yeah, and I gave it a seven. See, you got it. You, it says see? a lot about how good this album is. Though. It really uh-huh. does. I, well, there's yeah. not a single song on this album that I really wanted to rate a one, and that's that. That may be the you know one of the first times that's happened on on guesting on this is thank god for extra tracks yeah yeah (laughs) exactly all right next song is sledgehammer in 86 and 87 um how many times do you guys think that you saw the video a million 
<laughs> a million and a half. Yeah. So and many recorded it off the TV and then played it back. And yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it was in rotation. What? Every 15 minutes on oh. MTV. This, this is the most perfect example of an 80s song that is inextricably linked to its music video. I can't hear it without seeing some images from it. And, yeah. and, and I think as great as music videos were for music sales i do think that at times they have an impact on sort of creating fatigue for or maybe dating certain songs like to me it's like this one it's dire straits money for nothing genesis land of confusion take on me thriller that are so defined by their music videos it's hard to separate them in a way yeah and i think the video is probably a huge reason why so became such a success as an album which is really really great but i i think that the video probably wore this song out to a great extent for me that it did too. for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's fun, sexual innuendo. Yeah. And there's like the rhythm section is great. The horns are great. There's a lot about it that is really great. Trying to do like but, a stacks horn kind of vibe. Yeah. But in this like really modern, like yeah. it's a, it's such a freaking cool song. And at the same time, um, yeah, it, it got a little worn out, and it's <laughs> it's a strange one. Are there any lyrics in this that are n- that's not a sexual metaphor? Mm, I don't think so. I, my, I, I love so. "Show Me Around Your Fruit Cage" because I'll be your fruit honey cage. bee. Open up yeah. your fruit cage. I always thought that was fruit cake when I was younger, and it didn't make sense to me. But it makes more sense as a fruit <laughs> cage somehow, which I don't. Mm. I don't know what that says about me either. And this this has to I don't know where it lands now, but this has got to be the second most iconic music video of the eighties, right? I mean, it, it's oh yeah, unequivocally of the eighties, and and really all time, it's got to be somewhere in the top five, probably. It, was it Nick Park? I, yes, I yes, Nick. Some, it was the Ardman, Nick Park. That's amazing, yep. Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, like which is some of my, my favorites, mind. absolute favorite. I love their work so. But I mean, even from the sexual innuendo, it starts out with with sperm and and an egg dividing, and they come back to sperm later. Yeah. And they, he's not hiding it. Uh, no. no, but it's it's playful. I mean, it, it, yeah, it was great, and I I gave it a two. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you, know? you went even lower than I felt guilty about the four that I gave it uh, uh, because I was like, I just don't I don't connect with it. Uh, and I, I do blame some of it on the fatigue, though. I think it, I might like this song more if it were not for the fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. It was it's a huge, huge hit me. for sure. But, uh, and, and the fact that I can't listen to it without thinking of the music video to me kind of changes that. Yeah. I gave it a, f- I gave it a five. And even that was, I felt like that was maybe too high because, uh, yeah. I am kind of sick of it. Uh, from the listener scores, uh, the highest that it was ranked. Um, so John from the Invisible Sun cover band gave it a seven. And then Dave Greenberg also gave it a seven. But everybody else was kind of like us. They gave it fives and and fours. Um, nobody was quite as mean as Glenn was with the twos, <laughs> but... <laughs> It's all all good. Okay, I do have some trivia, so I I, w- I want to see what yeah, you guys yeah. what you guys think about the the Grammy Awards for that year. Here are the nominees for Song of the Year: Sledgehammer, Addicted to Love by Robert Palmer, Graceland by Paul Simon, Higher Love Steve Winwood, mm-hmm. and then That's What Friends Are For 
which was, you know, uh, Deanne Warwick and Elton yeah. John and um, written by Burt Bacharach. Who won Song of the Year? Graceland, right? Uh, that's what friends are for. Did it really? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. How about for male rock vocal? So we have Sledgehammer. We have Take Me Home Tonight by Eddie Money, To Be a Lover, Billy Idol, Eye of the Zombie, John Fogarty, and then Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love. Robert Palmer. Yeah, Robert Palmer won that one. Really? Which is another one that's pretty It's pretty tied to its wow, video. Gabriel got screwed. Yeah, yeah he definitely. But it, it, that's, uh, Robert Palmer's another one that I can't hear the song without thinking of that video. Right. Just the girls dancing right. behind him. It, it's yeah. yeah. Might as well face it, but yeah. it's not the best. No. I mean, compared. No, to like, no, no. Like, show me around your fucking. Like, <laughs> come on. All right. Here's, here's the best record. You guys ready? Uh huh. Steve Winwood's higher love. Peter Gabriel sledgehammer. Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love, Whitney Houston's Greatest Love of All, and then mm. That's What Friends Are For, again. Either, I'm going to, Greatest Love of All? I would guess that too. Steve Winwood, Higher Love. Oh, good. Love. I like I so, like that song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are all definitely of an era though, aren't they? I mean, they really do. Oh, like, yeah. very like, much so. There's the and era. I can't think of that song without seeing him in that video kind of shaking his thing. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's just the era of that too, I guess. I think we really defined music by music videos at that particular point in time. That was there was MTV. I was what fifteen. I watched a lot of MTV. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all did. All right. Next song is Don't Give Up. You worry too much. It's gonna be Of course, Kate Bush is uh, singing some vocals on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys realize that he originally wanted Dolly Parton to sing the female part? Yep. Oh, really? Yep. How how great would that have been? Well, it would have been, so been great. great, but Kate and Bush. And it was great anyway. Kate I mean, Bush, I love Kate Bush. I don't know. I, I would... Re- I would rather have Kate Bush on this. I got to be honest. I, and was I this love also Bush. on the tour. Was this Sinead O'Connor? Uh, the uh, yeah, the, Sinead O'Connor does uh, the version with Willie Nelson, which is really wonderful. That is a really because here's uh, it's it's based on on the photography of Dorothea Lange, who did all the Depression era photography. Really? She, yes, she captured like oh. all this Dust Bowl imagery. She she was really big in 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 humanizing that whole era, and yeah. also photographed like Jack, Japanese internment after Pearl Harbor. Her photos are phenomenal, and that was the inspiration to him. So it had a very 
like Americana uh, feel with it. Uh-huh. And with what they were going through at the time under uh, Margaret Thatcher, the economic conditions there kind of made him feel like we can, I can do this uh, and have it also apply to us. But the Dolly Parton side of it, I think fits very much with that, you know, depression era, Dust Bowl era. And that's mm. what Willie brings to it with Sinead O'Connor too. Mm. So that and is a, thing, that's a great cover. It's the, the thing about the lyrics on this record is like, he doesn't give up. Like he would say later, this is about those photographs. Like I'm thinking of that woman, like there's the, the most iconic one, right? It's just that, that woman. Yes. That's uh, exactly the one that's, uh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to, it's mu- uh, freckles on her cheeks and, and what is, uh, but uh, it's, it's that he will tell the story inside. I mean, we'll come back, you know, we'll do Mercy Street later, but like rather than just retell the story again, he'll he'll choose, I don't know, this thing that has lots of specificity and also lots of vagueness where you could apply it to all you could apply it almost anywhere, but the like the emotional content is still just that part is distinct and true and undeniable. And so it's not like, well, it's, it's the inspired by feel of it, as opposed to, I'm just going to retell that back in the depression. Things were bad. Right. It's not a Bruce Springsteen story. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a thing where once you hear that, that's the inspiration. You're like, I can see that now, but you don't need, he doesn't beat you over the head with the context. Totally. And the image is migrant mother. That's the one with the woman with her hand on her on her chin with the two yeah. ch- children. It's beautiful. Her work is phenomenal. I love that. That's where that came from. Yep. And and that's why you've got some of the Americana, you know, kind of feeling piano part. Um, although it gets a little slightly digital feeling for that, I guess. I know, but how great would Dolly have been where, you know, the part of rest your head, you worry too much. Oh, for sure. And, like, and Dolly was hearing. Dolly was supposed to sing it with Willie at an event and then wasn't available. And that's when Sinead got added. Uh, She was suggested to Willie and he didn't really know her very well, Mm. but that cover, if you haven't listened to it is, uh, it's great. It's an outstanding. It's been a long time since I've listened. And I will also say Kate Bush nailed it. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) It's so emotionally affecting. It's so good. I, I hope that people are not misconstruing that I don't like Kate Bush because I love Kate Bush. That's what I'm feeling, so. Ben. I'm definitely feeling an anti Kate no, no, Bush. No, no, no. If you ever have me back, we'll do the dreaming. It'll be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, good. I'm, I'm, I'm on board. Yeah, I'm on board. Okay. Um, all right. Should we get some scores for Don't Give Up? Jeff, what do you got? Uh, this one uh, ended up my second favorite, eight. That's where I went. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm a seven. seven. All right. Yeah. And this is my six. Uh, looking at the listener scores, um, this didn't rate very high for, for them. Um, Dave Peterson gave it a seven. Um, Eric Miller from the Pods and Sods Network, which, uh, Glenn, you did a episode, episode or two with Eric. Um, he gave it an eight. Mm-hmm. Next song is That Voice Again.
What do you guys have to say about this one? Strong, but not my favorite. I never, I never go past it, right? Um, but I, I, yeah, it's it's squarely in the middle for me. And so, yeah, this this was one of those songs that I remember listening to. So that you know, I was sixteen, seventeen when this was out, and. I just kind of fixated on the lyrics of I want you close. I want you near. I can't help but listen, but I don't want to hear, hear that voice again. And that was, I, that was definitely directed towards my parents where I'm like, you guys have some really good things to say, but I just don't want to hear you. Uh huh. And I, and I think that, um, that this song is always going to be, kind of one of those teenager songs that I equate with those teenage years. Mm. The first couple of minutes of this one, I think is going to score higher for me. And then it becomes mm-hmm. a little bit long and repetitive to me. And the drum machine feel on this one kind of loses me a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, I like it. I want to like it even a little bit more than I ended up uh, at the end. Yeah. It's got like the scenes in it rhythmically. Like going from, you know, I want you close, I want you near, and then into the, I'm hearing right and wrong so clearly. Like it's got this, the way the rhythms and the intensity shift of it, like the scene changes in are really great. I love the dynamics of it. He sings the crap out of it. Yes. Um, And there's some great, lines but it goes there's a point of his drama this is like the most dramatic like i think there's more of that on us than there is on so like uh, like drama and uh, this is the most dramatic moment but it's not always the most effective moment but it's still it's still strong it's strong and i think it just it's it's in comparison to some of the other things i think he pulls off better is really it's not so much this song not working as so many of the other ones working so much better for me. But there is a line in this one that I absolutely love, which is it's only in an, in uncertainty that we're naked and, we're alive. naked and alive. And I love it. I just think that's the greatest yeah. imagery. The idea of like, that's you're uncertain is when you just feel vibrant and, and, <laughs> and paying attention and vulnerable. Oh yeah. And the line too, it's the only love can make love. Like it's like so raw. Yep. It might be the best vocal moment. Like that opening and that the way it comes back in after that. It's so uh it's so raw and emotional. It's so good. I I I find it interesting that you guys said that this sounded more like a yes uh us song. Cause I thought that this sounded more like a Peter Gabriel for, huh. I guess it's it's called security in the U.S. But yeah. I kind of felt like that was this was more of a song that would have found its way on that, like the verses do, but the choruses are very much yeah. like okay, I want like they have the choruses are really uplifting. The verses have that dark. I'm listening to the conversation. Yeah. It's almost that's where I'm fixating. Almost a blend of those two albums in a way of those two styles. It's like his past and future kind of collaborating and having a conversation. Yeah. 
That's cool. Um, all right. This is my four, Jeff. Uh, three for me. And then Glenn. I, I was a, I was a five actually. Okay. Only because I was merciless to other songs. Yeah. <laughs> On the listener scores, they were all over the place. Uh, Derek gave it a two. John Lamoureux gave it a seven. That was, uh, oh, that was the highest of all the scores. Um, Dave Greenberg gave it a six. Um, but, it was kind of in the middle of the pack, I think, for the rest of the listeners. Very mm-hmm. similar to us. All right. This is where we're going to flip over the record. And lead track on side B is In Your Eyes. All my instincts, they return. The grand facade, so soon. Um, how iconic is this song? Oh, so iconic. Yeah. It's, it's kind of perfect. It is It is the most timeless song on the album to me. Like it just, it just, yeah, to me, it's, it, it's perfect. And it is, I think it is one of the most perfect love songs that I've ever heard. And that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just the, the lyrics don't, don't lean on a lot of, cliches to me i guess in that regard it, it's it's just really really cool lyrics mixed with a, a feel that is uh really timeless yeah it if it wasn't used in say anything would it still be iconic yes i saw say anything years and years after and i love john cusack and great moment but it solidifies it it's question. It solidifies yeah. it. It, it. I'm the same way. I already loved it. When you got there, you're like, it solidifies it. And it, it does more. I think it does more for say anything than say anything does for it. And I love say anything. Um, I, I love, I watched it, watched it a couple weeks ago with my kids and I'm, I'm watching it in that moment, both for the song and for the movie where I'm, I'm almost like on a date and you're watching them to, you're hoping they like this thing that you really, really like, or you really love, you know? Um, so that was kind of fun too, but, uh, that moment yeah. is also one of my favorite, most, icon- most iconic movie moments too. Um, yeah, he- here's, here's, what's interesting. Um, when I'm doing the research, I always see if, it's you know, things, 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 things charted or not. This was a number one song on the mainstream rock charts, hmm. but it only hit number 26 on the billboard hot 100. Really? And then when it was used in saying anything a few years later, it went back in the charts, but only reached number 41. That's pretty great for a song that's that old to jump back to that. Even that status. That's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that, I mean, three, later. three, yeah, three years later or yeah, whatever it was. Yeah. 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 
No, I was going to say, and for like, you know, it's like, it's so Peter gabriel like just the language, the grand facade, so soon oh. will burn without a noise, without my pride. I re- like, it's it's good poetry, but it's pretty poetic for a pot's pop song, right? Super poetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, the doorways to a thousand churches, the resolution of all my fruits. Like, it's so, um, it's not your average pop song lyric. I'll just say that. Uh, like even no. as a love song, it's it's a little grander, and the yeah, the production, the rhythm, everything about it is just so damn good. There, there, there's a great story about its inclusion in "Say Anything." Um, oh it yeah, was, it was you know Cameron Crowe trying to get the the song added, and so he got the studio to send the film to Peter Gabriel, uh, and Gabriel agreed, but. Um, he was concerned about the OD scene at the end of the film because the studio had accidentally sent him wired the John Belushi biopic, and uh, <laughs> and he still agreed. He's he's like, yeah, you can use it. I'm uh, yeah, I'm not sure about the OD scene. And uh, Cameron was like, the OD scene. I don't think you watched the right movie. That's hilarious. So, how much mailbox money do you think he's made uh, on this song because I of that? Can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. a lot. Hey. Yeah. And the the other weird thing about it is this the creepy thing I found out today that I I don't know if it's creepy or not but like that it was also you know his marriage was falling apart and he was having an affair with uh, Roseanne Arquette right yeah and it, like writing this song to his lover in the midst of it like that it's kind of intense yeah um, but that's and, maybe when you would say those super intense things right that new love that new without that does it have that same fire or does it lean more on love song cliches perhaps you know when you're writing for that new flame does it maybe build it at a level that you wouldn't have seen otherwise it's interesting well and it's not like subject matter i'm trying to think of other straight out love songs he's written and I mean, there's the blood of Eden, but that's, that's so like, uh, you know, that, that he's written. I mean, yeah, I, th- like in I his, mean, in his the, catalog, it's not territory where he tends to spend no. a lot of time. Well, it's, when you write the perfect one, you know, it's kind of like hitting a hole in one in golf. You might as well just walk away, right? Because it's not going to happen again. Yeah. It's like whoever he marries next, it's like, sorry, I already wrote a perfect love song. You'll just have to deal with it. <laughs> the next person is going to pale in comparison. There's just no way to, to improve upon it. You, you can't say the book of love, his cover by the magnetic fields, because that's not his song, no. but he, mm. he made, he made that his own. Mm-hmm. It kind of surprised me though, that there aren't more covers of this. I was, I, it, it's, it, and it may again be how perfect it is. It may be intimidating or something to, I, cause it seems like a song that you would have half a dozen people who've tried to throw their hat in that ring. Uh, yeah, one maybe of the, I'll do it tomorrow night. It's, it's a, it's once again, it's an interesting, least like not a hard, his songs aren't difficult quarterly. Like they have such intense, complex arrangements. Um, but they're, they're pretty easy. The melodies are so strong. Like you strip it away and they're pretty easy to just strum through and make work. Well, you, you definitely hooked me into watching tomorrow night's show for sure. If you're if you're gonna if you're gonna cover this tomorrow night, I I am glued. Uh, I'm pretty it, sure Jeff that he said challenge accepted. I, yeah, uh, that's what I heard. The it has to be better than the other cover that I found, which was by a band called Ninja Sex Party. Um, 
quest. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I kind of went down the rabbit hole with them a little bit and found they're kind of like uh, it's mostly comedic stuff, but they did a bunch of albums of covers. And in fact, they actually covered Africa as well. Toto's Africa. Okay. Uh, oddly enough, but uh, did they do a better version than Weezer. Um, so I didn't listen to it. I got I listened to their cover of uh, of this, and then I kind of you know just listened to some of their other original stuff. It's mostly comedy type stuff. It's it's odd. It's it's something like uh, uh what's the what's the band I'm thinking of uh, the you know mammals Discovery Channel. Uh, oh, it's kind of that. Um, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about, and I can't remember their names. Is uh, there a? Do you know any of the band name, the band band members of that? Is there a guy named John Fields in Ninja Sex Party? Um, I'm trying to remember. They they go by a, a pseudonyms, which were kind of yeah. amusing. Uh, I'm trying to remember if a friend of mine is actually involved. <laughs> I will say uh, there there were definitely some things that I dove down the rabbit hole with them a little bit more than I intended to today because I w- I did find uh, some amusement with it. Um, but uh, the band members are. Dan Avedan and Brian Wecht hmm. um, who go in, instead by um, oh, where'd their pseudonyms go? They're, they're, yeah, they're kind of funny. Uh, anyway. Look at yeah. oh Danny Sexbang is one of them and Ninja Brian. <laughs> that's their oh, that's, yeah. that's their stage names. Danny Sexbang. So and Sex I think they bang. also cover um, I feel like they cover um, Sledgehammer too. Okay, is that from the Boston Sex Bangs? I went to some All right, let's let's get some scores. This is my nine, Jeff. Oh yeah, hundred percent. This yeah, was nine. the easiest score I've ever had on doing this. Yeah, this and Glenn, one of my all-time, Animus. yeah, yeah, nine. one of my all-time yeah. favorite songs. All right, um, so listener scores. Everybody had this as a nine, except for. Derek Caraview, who gave it a five. What? He has no heart. And I'm, and I'm pretty sure that Derek was the one guy that went the last time we did listener scores. So Mark, the drummer from Sister Hazel, I'm pretty sure he's the one that called him a weirdo. I'm going <laughs> to guess he lives alone. Uh, no, he's 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 married, but he lives in Poland. Okay. Well, yeah, things translate differently over there for love songs. <laughs> maybe, maybe. All right. All right. Next song is Mercy Street. And oh my gosh, I love this song. Um, and this is Mercy Street for Anne Sexton, which mm-hmm. um, that's, I guess, full title. Um, she was a poet and I had to go read Mercy Street because I had never read the poem. And I think Mercy Street, right? 45 Mercy Street. 45. Yep. Um, and 
once I read that, I was kind of trying to, to like equate lyrics from Peter Gabriel to the poem. And we could probably spend a whole other hour doing the dissection of that. But um, we've already talked for a long time, so I'm not going to do that. And, and I don't think he was trying to do that again, right? I, I think he was... He used that title, but it was really the song is in, in a way about her, about her suicide to some extent, and just about her influence on him, right? Right. Yeah. And and, yeah. and t- taking the poem as the starting point for a, a, a whole separate piece instead of just rephrasing the same thing, and not not like not to throw Kate Bush under the bus, but like the sensual world, which I love, right? Which is. Uh, Mary, is it O'Malley? It's the, the, it was from the end of Ulysses by James Joyce, where it's this, you know, long speech with all this, yes, yes, yes. Uh And she wanted to do that verbatim and the James, you know, Joyce, they wouldn't let her. So she rewrote it slightly added, you know, into the central world, but it was really, you know, with that or even Wuthering Heights, like it's just kind of, here's some plot points from the story. Like, it's a mm-hmm. good song, but she's just reiterating it. Right. Where he's doing this thing of looking at the poem, asking about what might have influenced the poem, taking his own narration of her, blowing it out into using that one poem as a way to look at her life and then his reflection on that. And narr- like he goes so wide with it. And also, once again, is giving her full credit in it and uh, like being inspired by instead of just like stealing the poem and uh, taking it from her. I feel like he really honors the poem and her leads people back to the poem and takes it entirely somewhere else. And I will also once again say I'm a massive Kate Bush fan and I love the sensual world, but um, (laughs) like, and just what is it? Words to find like bone, like there's, Oh God, there's so many good lines in this. Everything about it is just gorgeous. It's just, you know, really. And and the version on the orchestral album, new blood is super, super sparse and gorgeous of this. that is, Mm -hmm. that's maybe the, to me, the best one uh, reimagining, on new blood is this particular song. I didn't like it as much. Didn't you? Uh, I don't like it better than this, but I love it. I think it's a really nice companion piece, Um, but it is missing one of the elements of this that is interesting. It's that, you know, where uh, Gabriel does the shadow vocal thing where he's doing an octave lower than his own vocal for that real haunting kind of thing going on. Um, And that's in this production, but um, this one NME listed it as one of the 10 most depressing songs ever. Um, but in a very, everything about it was very complimentary. It's not in a negative way. It's, it's talked about what a beautifully produced number it is. And it's, it's just, it deals, you know, because it deals with so much of, um, Sexton's like real intense depression and, and, and emotional difficulties and all that sort of stuff. And, and ultimately, you know, suicide without hammering us over the head with it. The more you, they, they said, the more you listen to it, the more you, uh, you get that. So, uh, and the number one, like the number one song on that list was Johnny Cash's uh, cover of hurt. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. And, and taking you guys back to the eighties. So, um, I listened to this on my sister's stereo and she had those really cool led lights that kept, 
yeah. you know, the, the, the rhythm, this song is bonkers with the led lights. The triangle probably set it off. <laughs> oh, there's so, so much going on with there's this song. Triangle which, and then they're like, the, the, yeah, the, 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 the little percussion stuff that's going on with that. Uh, this is my eight, eight. Glenn. Yeah. Eight. Uh, this this was my eight and then it's my seven um it bounced back and forth with don't give up and and that's where i landed so yep okay Uh, and then for the listener scores so derek redeemed himself with his eight for this (laughs) um john john ann and dave peterson also gave high scores for this the rest of the group I'm disappointed in you guys. You guys all gave the gave it twos and threes, which uh, I'm wow. just yeah, wow. I'm terribly oh, disappointed yeah. in God. all of you. That's, that's just not getting it. They just don't, that's song. just not getting it. Uh, yeah. I'm embarrassed that I'm at a seven. I should be where you guys are at. I think with it. Yeah. All right. Next song is big time. The same conversation that happened with Sledgehammer with overexposure is probably the case with this song as well, right? Yeah, I like it a little, just just one point better. I, I <laughs> me too. And it's the same thing. It was him having fun and doing kind of like a dance thing, but I think it's it's a trickier song and tr- it's trickier lyrical territory, and he's doing something that's like so. Yeah, Reagan era, um, you know, consumption, consumerism, but he's having a lot of fun with it. I like the humor in it. I love the false bravado and overconfidence of the narrator. That's what I love about this. Mm-hmm. The, I love the things he chooses to say about himself and imagining that character. Um, and, and I really kind of dig the, I, I really dig the bass part of this and then reading about it was fascinating too. the, you know, the idea that they did the thing where, um, you know, the bass players holding the, the, uh, fretless, uh, fretless guitar part. And then the drummer is, is hitting the bass line. Hmm. He's hitting it with drumsticks on the strings. And so that, uh. that's what makes it sound percussive. And then, uh, is this what why is Tony it? Levin ended yeah. up having like the fingers. Yes. That's why he your extensions on he, tour. He invented uh, those, and they called them funk fingers, <laughs> which is amazing. Uh-huh. Um, which I did think, Glenn, that um, I, I did as I listened to uh, "They'll Find Me." I was like, "Did you use funk fingers on 'They'll Find Me'?" 
So I, I had that quick thought of like, if you, cause that, that had a baseline that kind of reminded me of this and reading that it was inspired by this and talk, talk. Um, uh, I wanted I forget to forget how the base happened on that. That yeah. might've been John. Okay. Uh, cause that, that was, I, I was listening to that today and I was like, huh, that sounds a little like funk fingers to huh. me. I I appreciate that. I mean, I go to on my solo stuff when I have enough time. I I go I go to a Gabrielly place, but uh, and I like that he just owns the character. It's yep. like he never steps back and says, "I'm not really like this." This isn't. He just goes, um, unapologetic. Yeah, I'd like to know what the what the uh, the numbering was on the songs that they produced. I wonder if, if this was a little bit of self-fulfilling prophecy where, you know, they, they already did a whole bunch of these other songs where they kind of knew this was going to be a hit. And then maybe he comes in and says, Hey, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the big time for this. Honestly, I think it's one of those things where, how can I say? Like, where people didn't get the irony. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Where part of its thing is everybody going, yeah, big time. I'm, I'm like, uh, just. It's his born in the USA. It's his born <laughs> in the USA. I think he was yeah. making fun of the very thing in a certain yes. way it became and possibly the thing that made it people love it so much. I think that's why I love it is that I think there's a nice kind of, there's a, a sly sense of humor to it that, that sticks out to me. So I, I like this. It, it feels like it's a similar session to sledgehammer. And again, it was, you know, the music video was, was in a similar stop motion vein, but uh, for whatever reason, I just, I just liked it better. Um, Stuart Copeland makes another appearance on this one too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I forgot to, to, to mention he's on red rain. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, hi hat only, right? Yeah. Glenn. Hi hat only. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's right. I will say just one last thing before we get some scores. So every time I hear the 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 lyric of with the snow white pillow for my big fat head, I think <laughs> of I think of so I married an axe murderer. Yeah. Yeah. Where he's like, Look look at the size of his head. He'll be crying himself to sleep tonight with this big huge pillow. Which features a toe of the wet sprocket song. Yes, it uh, does. Yes. Yes, yes uh, brother. Yep. Thank thank goodness for record companies. <laughs> <laughs> There's one of the placements that we yep. talked about. Yep. All right. Um all right. Nice uh, well done. Well done. That was a while ago. Uh <laughs> all right, Glenn, your score on big time? I gave it a three. I wish I could give it more, but um I, I, there's so many great songs that it ended up being a three. I kind of feel like it maybe yep. should have been a four or five, but um, but it's a three. Okay. And then Jeff, uh, I'm at a five with this one. This is kind of the top of my second tier, I guess, or yeah, or third if in your eyes is its own tier. So right, right. This is my this is my three. Um, all over the place on the listener scores. Derek had this as his lowest song. Eric Miller and John uh, Joe Kelly had this as high as their seven. So it was all over the place mm. there. Yeah, and I get it. 
it's like we're having the opposite problem that that your friend had when they were rating my record where like he, he was wishing he could give everything a lower score. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're all like I wish I could give everything a higher score. Well, Glenn, I yeah. hope that you heard in that conversation that Ben and I were in a similar No, no, no you stuck by me. You're stuck by me. Yeah, yeah. we were in we, a similar We did. We did. You know, I'd still be there even if we are with this one. So that that's <laughs> very much there. Yeah, next song on this would have been the last song on the vinyl version. So this is we do what we're told in parentheses milligrams thirty seven. I probably should have done more information or or looked at more research for Stanley Milgram because mm-hmm. that's uh, I guess he's a psychologist of some this sort. This was the experiment where um, they basically had a test subject. They had an actor in a room and told somebody to ask questions and then apply an electric shock to the person in the room. <sighs> And then kept telling them to turn up. So it was Milgram's 37th experiment, right? And and I love that once again, Peter Gabriel, he didn't write a song that said, we'll shock people till we think they're dead. We're terrible. Like, you know, what is it we're thinking? We'll do any, like he just said, we do what we're going to do. Like, it's not out of Tommy at this point is what you're saying, right? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't write a pamphlet. He like something about the music in this and the simplicity of the lyrics, right? It's just, we do what we're told to do. One doubt, one voice, one war, one truth, one dream. Like, it's so simple and just referencing it to that experiment um, that when people were told by an authority figure to torture another human being for no real reason, a large number of people went ahead and did it. Yeah. And there's been conversations about that, um, about that experiment sense and, you know, how it was, how it was done and, what the phrasing was and how many people like it, it's a complicated so like I'm fascinated by by the, the 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 Milgram experiment but I thought that song was such a I don't know I I particularly love this one because it doesn't underline itself and it doesn't preach it just kind of takes you there and lets you make your own decisions about it. It's musically very beautiful too. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely got that going on. I, I dismissed it a little bit more than I wish I would have, especially reading. I read that after I sent scores, Ben, and I, I did swap this in the last one, um, reading about what it was about. And uh, um, it also seems like something could be higher. Cause I think I kind of dismissed it as sort of the palate cleanser after um 
big time, especially when you're coming into the fact that knowing that Gabriel intended for in your eyes to close the album. Mm, um, right. So it feels like it really probably existed at one point to just bridge the gap. Uh, so you didn't go from big time to in your eyes. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but, uh, you know, in your eyes, the place we didn't talk about at the time, but that got placed where it was on the vinyl so that the bass would reverberate better. That's, that's, right. that's why that, uh, that ended up there was so it played in the album at a point where I guess the weight and the balance of the needle would reverberate yeah, a heavier bass. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think I dismissed this a little more than I, than I should have. And, and, uh, after reading a little bit about it, I, I listened to it a couple more times. It is pretty interesting. Yeah. Cause if you look at the, like, if you go to Spotify to listen to this record, um, I, I believe in your eyes, is going to be the last song on that. It is. It is. Oh. I, I wonder if this is the picture would have st- still been after that. If it, I don't know. Yeah. Or if in your eyes, it was later. I don't know. We I, don't know. That. I gave it a four. I, 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 I went I, two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I went one. This was my lowest, but that's not to say that I don't like this song. Cause I really do. Um, all right, let's wrap this up. Actually, let me go to the listener score. So this was their lowest song. Only Derek had it as high as a three. Everybody else had this as their ones and their twos. So, all right. So last song is This is the Picture, in parentheses, Excellent Birds. I'm sitting by the window Watching the snow fall I'm looking out This was, I believe it was originally on a Laurie Anderson record. Is that correct? I think so. This was, was this right around the time of home of the brave. Did you ever see that film? I don't know if I saw that. I don't know either. What flower remember. best expresses days go by one into the other. And the florist said white lily. It's, it's, it's a fun, it's a really cool film to see. And, I, yeah, I I really like Laurie Anderson, and I love Peter Gabriel, and I just this just yeah I I don't know it never fit to me. <laughs> yeah, it didn't fit for me either. So I understand why that they would have dropped it from you know the record sequencing. Um, I did listen to Laurie Anderson's version, mm-hmm. and I got to say that the 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 Nile Rogers guitar. Mm. totally makes this song in my opinion because mm-hmm. that's that that's nile on the guitar for for Is that it? So, that's awesome yeah yeah it's this feel this feels like a little bit more of the pre-so days kind of experimental vibe you know and, mm-hmm. and mixing in of course laurie anderson with the more avant-garde sort of stuff feels a little bit like that so it it, it might have been at home a little more on one of the previous albums yeah it's got that tightly wound like the standing on their heads they're yep. ready like it's, it's very like, german <laughs> <laughs> it just, yeah it's got a bit of this german thing or yeah. like you know like i think of like 
it doesn't sound at all like early, like there's the, whoever the guy was who wasn't Bjork in the sugar cubes, right? Like, right. let's go on the bicycle <laughs> for the motor crash. Like, I don't know what he's doing now, but he's not Bjork. And uh, there, there's some element of the art rock thing that's just like, yeah, like, yeah, I get it. It's, it's already, it's whatever, but it's like, I compare it to anything else on this record and it just doesn't, and to me, it, it's not it, my not my bag. It feels like um, like a generic version of Games Without Frontiers to me. That's kind of the other thing it does. Oh mm. man, it does have a total mm. Games Without Frontiers vibe. Yeah, which again, Games Without Frontiers to me is so much better. It does some of the similar things that's you know almost staccato like German feeling thing, but it does it better. <laughs> well, in games, and once again instead of just like painting an abstract picture, like I kind of don't get where this is going. Games Without Frontiers has something more. It moves yeah. me. Yeah, and I this, agree. Uh, this is the picture. It's just, it's more like I'm in a, a gallery wearing a kimono and appreciating something very artful. And it, it's, it do, it's not moving. Games Without Frontiers, once again, moving. Yep. Maybe because Games Without Frontiers has Kate Bush in it. Maybe. Probably. Okay. There now, we go. Now I'm going Army Dreamers, and I just want to blink. That's <laughs> 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 the videos. I will say this. I'm just going to brag about my children for one second in terms of Kate Bush. They all know if you start going, it's me, I'm Kathy, I'm come home. They know the dance. They know every bit of like... The the Wuthering Heights video dance. Nice. That's a parenting uh, they win. All, they all immediately sync up and go into the dance. And and my youngest daughter, Freya, is take, she's taking care of my uh, niece, and she is teaching her the dance to Wuthering Heights. She's three years old, and she's already learning her Kate Bush. Well, thanks, thanks for rubbing that in, because all my kids know the dance to Bye Bye Bye. Oh. <laughs> I think mine know that. <laughs> my 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 parenting win was when my seven year old daughter had uh, Wilco's Hummingbird as her favorite song, as opposed to other nice. stuff. That was that's yeah. that's that's one where yeah you you like to throw that in as I much do. as possible to rub that in. Yeah. Thanks, man. My kids love that. Wilco and Toad and uh, Posies and so great taste. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I gave it a one. <laughs> Mom's force in this house is very strong. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, this is my two. And then Jeff. I, this is one. I switched it to one. Okay. And then looking at the listener scores. So everybody gave this twos or ones, except for Derek, who gave it a seven. Is that the one who gave mm-hmm. In Your Eyes five? That is correct. Oh, and, and 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 I think that I know the reason why he now. because you. He lives in Poland. <laughs> So yeah, I, that yeah, feels you, very off to say that it's very judgmental of me. I don't really know much about Poland. So I feel like, well, I, you brought I, up I, the German thing. I should, so. back, I should backtrack a little bit I away from that. Guys, I'm curious. You th- yeah, I'm hoping somebody brings in what's the, the can album with vitamin C and sw- sing swan song. Oh, um, do you know can at all? Like it's no. got a, the cover is a picture of like, a, I think it's like okra. Um, you've heard vitamin C. You're yes. losing, you're losing your vitamin C. Like yes, that yes. one showing up oh, in a lot yeah. of times. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, 
uh, it's like Egan Bismarck or, or so. I want to hear, I want to see his ratings for that record. <laughs> In- interesting. All right. I want to say, yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I'm not, and I'm not bashing Derek because we, we, did an episode he just released it today in fact uh where he and i gushed on not a surf's let go so he he does have that going for him so yeah it's just hard for me to fathom in your eyes being that low that's that's where it comes down to it just any other score i would have been fine it's uh, it's contrarian it is I i think so i think so all right uh no no surprises what our number one song is cumulatively right in your eyes yeah, and that's listener top pick as well. Um, our second was Mercy Street with a 7.66 average score. Third was Don't Give Up. Fourth was Red Rain. And then that voice again uh, with an average score of four was was our fifth, which is kind of funny that the two big singles from this record didn't make our top five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the listener scores, um, even with Derek's crappy score for in your eyes, that was definitely their top song as well. Uh, red rain was second with sledgehammer third. And then there was a three way tie for fourth with don't give up mercy street and big time. Interesting. I can yeah. live with all of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, gr- it's a great album. It is a really, really it wonderful is, it album. It really is. And that's the thing. I just heard, like, I think of, like, Chalkmark and a Rainstorm by um, uh, Joni Mitchell. And, like, there were so many records that were clearly post-so, you know? Yeah. It it just changed. It changed the vocabulary. And uh, people made records differently after that record. Yeah, it's, it's such a such a such an astonishing record. Yeah, I was definitely yeah. I was definitely excited that uh, I was going to get a chance to to have a conversation with you. And then when Ben told me that you picked so as well, that was just an added plus because it's it's a you know it's a good one to to talk about for all those reasons. yeah for for two hours and fourteen minutes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Glenn, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Tell tell people where where they can find all the happenings of Glenn Phillips and what charities you'd you'd like to showcase. All right. Thank you. Uh, that you can do that. I'm just at, at, uh, on Facebook. I'm Glenn Phillips, Glenn Phillips music. I'm easy to find. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Okay. Oh, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 6 PM, usually and on stage at Sundays at 5 PM. Uh, and, 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 and tomorrow night doing, uh, in your eyes. Is that what we're, yeah, I should remember that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so so usually my last question to all the guests is who do you know that i don't know who'd want to come join us on the podcast to revisit one of their favorite records oh. but um is randy is randy a record guy i'm sure randy would have something i could i could uh forward you to him and i could also the other person i would generally select is sean Watkins. oh um, love to have sean on yeah we did um, we did Nickel Creek's uh, self-titled record with uh, striking matches a number of months ago. Nice, but yeah, yeah. I could forward uh, email me. I'll forward stuff to both of them. Perfect. All right, and then so if, as a re- for my sorry for my uh, end of it, uh, thanks again yep. for taking the time with us, Glenn. This has just been an absolute treat for me. So thank you uh, for all the reasons that we talked about and, and the bigger discussion that we got to have about the social issues too. I think it's, it's great. We were able to do that. I thought you had some, some nice things to say. 
Yeah. Well, thank you. Really good talk. And Jeff, tell tell people where they can find you as well. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Jeff Makes Jokes. And in no in no comedy clubs near you anytime soon. I think <laughs> Vegas. There, I'm trying to get rebooked in Vegas. Maybe in in the fall is what I've heard at the Laugh Factory. But uh, uh, who knows? Right now, it's hard to say. I don't do a lot of the online stuff because it it doesn't God. feel weird. And I hadn't even thought of that. It's like, I think of like me going out and my job is to spit on people, but you know, I've been thinking, <laughs> right. Right. Cause I, I sing out loud and, and, and you know, there's a club in town that they have a deck and they're like, well, we could go out. And I talked about, well, maybe if we put plexiglass in front of me and you know, that way I wouldn't be spitting on all the people. Uh, and, but your job is to make people spit. Right. Like laughter is now dangerous, right? If you're laughing, you're just going, ha! yeah, you're, you're, you're like, talking stuff everywhere. And then on top of it with the social distancing, not that it's ideal, obviously for music to have people spread out and not have a packed room, but at least with the sound you generate, you can kind of cover that. Uh, the laughter is so communal with that, that it's difficult mm-hmm. when you start moving people away from each other. Um, it changes the dynamic pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure what, what that holds and when things are coming back. And I'm sure you have a lot of venues that you have worked with over the years that you kind of look at them and go, boy, they, they might not have been well run financially before this, but after this, we're wondering if they're going to be around. No, Um, the the venues are really struggling to figure out ways of lasting through this, uh, lasting through this gap. I mean, the thing is at some point they're, they're landlords. It's like, well, what are you going to do with a place that's been a nightclub for 30 years? Like, uh, you yeah. know, are you going to turn yeah. it into another urban outfitters? Like, right. That's the hope is that they look at it exactly the way you just described and go, I can either start these guys from square zero and not put them so far in the hole that they'll never recover and go, let's, yeah. let's, let's get it rolling again. Or like you said, is the property too valuable to them? And they, they do, they put another retail thing in well suck it up for a minute and especially if they've gotten some assistance i I really hope you know the landlords are patient and willing to take that gap and um you know and you know certain places city winery and you know i'm doing an interview with bell's brewery i think tomorrow like people are trying to figure out ways of yeah staying open through this long gap so that when we can play in front of people again they're there but I hadn't thought about how insanely dangerous comedy is. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're a menace. Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> for so many more reasons than you even realize at this point. But yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. All right, Glenn. Thank you again. So thanks for listening. Please support the arts. I would tell you to go to a live show, but you know the drill on that. So go go support your your favorite musicians. They're I'm sure doing something online, buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record. We are records revisited and we are out. 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 <laughs> <laughs> are you going to sync those up later? No, no, it's funnier okay. if you don't. It's, <laughs> it's definitely better. All right. Um, I promised a couple of guys. I just did a podcast with that. I would play, um, this song for them so we'll see how it goes
I get so lost sometimes. And this emptiness fills my heart When I want to run away I drive off in my car But whichever way I turn I come back to the place you are All my instincts live to the ground inside So soon will be without noise Without my pride I reach out from the inside In your eyes, light Thousand churches, resolution for my police searches. I wanna touch the light, the heat I see.